In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In our Old Testament readings, we are continuing with the written works that are attributed to Solomon. Now, I say attributed not because I don't think Solomon was involved, but because growing up in Sunday school, sometimes I hear that, oh, Solomon wrote all of these out of thin air. And the problem with that theory is we have written works that we know are before Solomon, and some of them have proverbs that are very similar to some of them that are in there. So we need to be honest about what's going on here. So it's likely that some of these were saying Solomon heard and knew to be true, and he curated them and added them to his own Proverbs. Now this morning we're reading several different sayings about the rich and the poor. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. Now as we're reading this morning, we need to realize Solomon is not promising blessings for your actions. You're not blessed because you've shared your bread with the poor. It's not transactional. God doesn't forgive us because because we owe him something or because we do the right formula. He does it out of his mercy. That's not our relationship with the Father. He's not Santa Claus, and he's not the bank. Solomon is giving general principles of life here. You reap what you sow, right? We, we hear Jesus say these things, right? If you, reap, if you sow wheat, what do you reap? Wheat. You don't reap bananas. It doesn't work that way. At the end, you'll be treated like you treat other people. What Solomon is saying here is you're blessed because you have bread to share with the poor. To Sharing the bread is the blessing, not some supernatural guarantee of future financial reward. And in our society and in some of the preaching in our churches, it's an important distinction to make. And when we read passages like this, we sometimes want an immediate response to our generosity. God, we planted our field this morning. Where's the harvest? Like the psalmist says, Show your goodness, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are true of heart. We want to see those rewards now. Or even more, when we see injustice happening, or when we read scriptures like, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, we want to see the scoundrels get theirs right now. And we wonder why God doesn't do it. We have this cultural idea that God, the God in the Old Testament was all about instant judgment. That like Zeus, he was sitting up on a cloud, and every time the children of Israel did the first little thing, he zapped them with a lightning bolt, or he opened the ground underneath of them. But that rarely happened. We often see the problems and the sins going on for a while. The children of Israel complained many times to and about Moses and about the Exodus before God's first judgment. Solomon's descendants worshipped the high places on and off for two or three centuries before they were led away to captivity. That's the wonder of God's mercy. He's patient, and he shows us love. In Lamentations, as Jeremiah is looking over what's left of Jerusalem in the Promised Land, he said this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In hundreds of years after both the Psalms and Proverbs had been written, 
We see these problems, again, rearing their ugly head in the early church. James says, My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? The sin that James is primarily addressing in this book is the sin of the church where it's favoring the rich over the poor. James says, hey, if two people come in and one is dressed nicely and the other is dressed like a poor person, how are you going to treat them? James is saying, you're looking at the rich man and you're giving him the best seats and you're giving him the red carpet treatment. And when the poor man comes in, you sit him in the back of the room or you make him stand or worse yet, you treat him like your servant. Sit at my feet, take care of me, and then maybe we'll take care of you after we've taken care of ourselves. Now this is not the first time in the church's history that it's wracked with charges of favoritism. Shortly into the life of the church in Acts chapter 6, we read, The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Remember that at the beginning of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, people from all over the world were there. Jews who grew up in different lands, in Turkey, in Syria, in Rome, other places. And when they became Christians, most of them stayed in Jerusalem. And there's 3,000 people there now. And the church was trying to take care of them all as they were being discipled and raised up in the Lord. And the apostles looked at the allegations, prayed, and decided to consecrate the first deacons to take care of those who were being overlooked. And here we are, a decade or so later, and James is writing, Have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? James is recalling his older brother's words in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then James asks a question. Aren't the rich oppressing you? Aren't they suing you? Aren't they the ones who are dishonoring the name of Christ? And then he reminds them of the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And because they are not following it, James reminds them, if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. But we need to speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is reminding those that have been saved from the law not to fall back into the same trap that Jesus railed against last week, of trying to live in such a way that allows us as believers to set up rules that we ignore while holding everyone else to it, to live by giving ourselves mercy and not our brothers and sisters. To receive mercy from God, we have to show mercy to others, for them and for us. And it's not enough to simply think about loving others. As James says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not have works? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of it? So faith by itself, if it has not works, is dead. Our gospel this morning starts with, From there he set out and went to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want to know anyone to know he was there. In last week's gospel, Jesus took the Pharisees and scribes to task for their ideas of purity 
and their judgment on those who would not or could not conform to their, their own standards of piety, not God's. Now, as if to prove this point, Jesus heads off into impure territory, the very Gentile region of Tyre. Tyre was a rich city and had a long history of lording it over their neighbors. And it appears Jesus was needing a break to get away from the crowds, to rest and to pray. But they still found him. A woman, a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. And then we have to... It's one of those stories that's hard to understand and parse sometimes. Jesus said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he replied, For saying this, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child laying on the bed, and the demon was gone. And from Tyre he goes to Decapolis, another primarily Gentile area. And they brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And Jesus does. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Epaphtha, that is, be opened. We see something odd in our two stories this morning. Why did Jesus look to heaven and sigh before healing the man? It's not something he normally does. Why did Jesus initially refuse to free the woman's daughter? Was it a test? Was he having a bad day? Were both of the stories because the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter and the deaf man were Gentiles, and he was wrestling with his orders to go to God's own people first? Theologians and scholars have argued about the why. Jesus' frustration here is palpable. And it makes us want to ignore these stories. They don't fit with our conception of Jesus. We say on Sundays that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. But we really treat him like he's Superman. He should never be tired. He should never be frustrated. But he was fully God and fully man. And from what we read in Scripture, it could be both. But in the end, the woman's daughter is freed and the man's made to hear. God's mercies are new every morning. And we have to remember something else that we read. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. God's mercy extends to each one of us. God wants to show us his grace and love and forgiveness. But we have to ask from him and search our hearts to see if we are being merciless with our neighbor. As we pray this morning, thank God for his mercy. And if you have something against anyone else, whether you think it's justified or not, whether it's deeply personal or a prejudice rearing its ugly head. After you all, you know what they think. You know what their kind does. Forgive them. Show mercy and ask for God's. That is what James meant when he said, your judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And remember, no matter what, God's mercies are new every morning. Amen.